This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Hello and welcome to today's mini masterclass with me, James Roy. Today we're going to be enjoying the second part of a presentation that was given by Deborah Abella, a good friend of Westwards, and she gave this presentation via Zoom to the Westwards Academy. If you're interested in looking at what the Westwards Academy can offer you, please go to westwards.com.au and look for the link. But basically what the Academy is, is a place for new writers to come and learn some of the tips and tricks of the trade in terms of how you become a professional writer and how you conduct yourself as a professional writer, some of the skills you might need that go beyond the actual writing of the work itself. But this is part two of uh, Deborah Bella talking about how we present our work. So please enjoy. Um, prepare, plan and practice, particularly if you're new at this, get, get, you know, get that structure of your beginning, middle and end of your talk because um, you want to end on a kind of a good, strong note as well um, and, and practice. So I, especially now when technology is so easily accessible, I'd even suggest get your talk ready, prepare it, practice it and practice it on camera and then watch it back. And then that way you can kind of see how you can improve it, how you can possibly shorten that story or engage someone more. Um, sit down with your partner or your best friend too and maybe get them to watch it and see if they've got any tips and advice. Maybe you say, um, a lot, or maybe, you know, you've swallowed some of your words in a story that should be a bit more up or, but that, that kind of thing too, it can be really good. I remember taking a, um, sorry, I remember taking a first, first uh, or very new writer on a school's tour for Westwards. Yeah. And, um, and we got to the end of the, this talk and she did really well. And then and she's quite nervous, but it was in front of a whole bunch of, like I think stage two or stage one even. Yeah. Um, at the end and she said, How, do you have any advice for me? I said, I've got one little bit of advice uh, or two little bits of advice. I said, first, you've got to lose a lectern. Oh, yes. She said, oh, <laughs> why that's where my notes are i said well she said i can't you want me to lose my notes as well i said well kind of i said but you can have your notes nearby and you can just go over i said but the lectern puts the kids are already sitting on the floor she yeah. was standing on the stage yeah and they were down sort of below the steps i said so there's already that height difference and then yeah. you stand by the lectern and suddenly i said and the other thing you kept saying in your talk you'd say and that reminded me of, you know, have you ever felt really lost? You know, like, for example, I remember when I went to school, she said, where I had a different last name to everyone else. So that was something. And I said, that was the moment when all the kids were going, yeah, tell us more about that. Yes. She just went, anyway, on to my next point. I'm going, yeah. you read the room a bit, you know. Yes, read the room. That is so important. And maybe some of those kids also wanted to say that time when they felt a bit lost. And so I think, and I think adults... I'm not, this is not just a kid thing um, because I think interaction can be a really lovely thing. Um, kids, certain kids in a certain age bracket, I reckon, always want to tell you the story about their cat, whatever. Um, but I think adult audiences too want to share. Like, for example, that World War II book I was talking about, I spoke to a bunch of elderly Maltese people who lived through the war in Malta during World War II, which the book is based on. And I started the the talk off and said my family's experience and the, what the book was about and very gently 
asked if they wanted to tell their story as well. And every now and then a little hand would go up until in the end I just had to sit back and they took over and told these incredible stories. It's about connection. Writing, reading, talking to readers, it's all about connection. So whatever you can do to make that lovely moment where they they feel connected with you or they can share something with you is super, super important, whether it's stage one or whether it's a bunch of elderly people um, at a community centre. You, you need to find a way to make them feel like you, they, you and they, they and you have got like a, a lovely little connection, something going on. But, of course, things go wrong. And so, um, you know, you can plan oh, your no wrong. No. nothing, nothing ever goes wrong. And so that's the thing, too, because James and I've been doing this a long time, too. We can tell you times when it all goes terribly wrong. And the, the important thing is to be as flexible as you can. Sometimes you'll turn up and you're expecting technology to show your lovely PowerPoint and suddenly the person who should have organized that has gone home early and they didn't do it or, you know, so go on. Remember when we did that the thing at the CBC conference, and you'd you'd sent me an email saying, <laughs> "Please please find blah 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 some some images." And so I thought you were saying to me, "Go and find some images." So I, I went and found images of the wrong book. And when you said, "Please find the images," they were actually on on the on the email, and that was an awkward moment for everyone. Awkward moment, but it's fine. We went on with the show. Um, You're still talking to me, so that, I take that as a win. Yeah, yeah. You're still a lovely person. And so, and and even recently, I, I did a, a series of online talks, which is another kind of talk we're all getting used to doing this year. And I did it for a school who was very, very nervous and they, like overly nervous because it was only about two weeks ago. And I thought, oh, we're sort of all used to this Zooming author talks into schools now. And, and I realised why they were nervous because the previous two author talks they'd had were terrible, they weren't terrible, that they didn't go well. One, the technology just wouldn't quite work and, and the internet was dropping in and out and it was just, you know, so technically it was not great. And then the second author, though, had a full share screen, you know, all prepared um, PowerPoint and it just, for whatever reason, they couldn't get it to share. So they couldn't show their PowerPoint and they, they had to can the talk because the teacher said, oh, well, can you just go on without it? And they were so thrown by the idea of not having their presentation, they had nothing else to share. So you always, and I know you and I have talked about technology over the years, James, that in a, in a way you prefer not to rely on anything, props, technology, anything, because it's you and your voice and your storytelling and you can hold up books. I've, I've quite liked technology over the years, but if, if at the 11th hour, the electricity went out or it didn't work, I would need to be able to still deliver some kind of interesting talk without it. So I get that the big point is you need to be flexible. Sometimes I was at a festival where an author was asked to present to a particular audience and then 20 minutes into the talk and he's in full flight, he's set up the story of this book and how it came about and he's reading with all gusto and the organiser came in and said, I'm really sorry, these this audience is not supposed to be in the room, they're supposed to be in the other room. And she literally led this audience, this entire hall of like, you know, 150 kids out of uh, the, the audience and he was furious and he couldn't get beyond how furious he was 
to then pick himself up, gather himself up and say, oh, well, I'm just doing, I'm going to start again. It's a shortened talk. And so that being able to think on your feet and be, and that of course comes with experience. The, the longer that you do it, the more experience you've got, the more you can say, you know what, this story that I'm telling um, that normally gets a big laugh, it's not really working. So I'm going to cut it short and I'm going to tell a different story instead. So that being able to think on your feet or if you're doing a writing workshop and let me tell you as an author, <laughs> authors are asked to do writing workshops a lot. Um, have And again, you will build up. You will build up a whole great array of different activities you can do and some will work blisteringly well with one one group of, of writers and another time it might fall on its head. Again, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and move on, you know, so because things, they will go wrong, but it also will not be the end of the world. Um, having you said that. Those, sorry, Deb, how you handle those things, that that reflects on you as well. If you, it's good to get a, if you've got a reputation as being someone who was thrown a curveball, the power went out and you dusted yourself off and, and carried on. I mean, I, I remember. Yes person who's a, a publisher who still talks to me about how I was I was hoping for a shortlisting on a particular book and I was in the middle of a workshop with her when it I found out I didn't have it and I sort of took a deep breath and went on and she said I was so impressed by that at the oh, time yeah and so that sort of paved the way for our relationship hopefully to be productive in the future yeah but I at the time wasn't thinking oh I hope this looks good to this publisher it was just yeah I've got an obligation here to make the kids, you know, give the kids what they need. Yep, yeah. And I that was one thing I wanted to talk about too. So you, there will be difficult situations. There will be times when you're asked to do something that you weren't asked to do. And so as, as flexible and as accommodating as you can be. Now, I also believe you should be firm. So if you don't want to talk to 5,000 people in an audience when you've only agreed to talk to 100 you know there are certain things too you can say actually I didn't agree to that but I think if you are difficult it's word spreads and you won't be asked back where whereas in the in the opposite exactly what James said then um if you are seen to be quite a, a, a good person to work with quite flexible quite easygoing then you will be asked word will go around you have got to get James Roy because he's so unflappable and he's very very good and so your last gig is, is, is as important as every other gig you've done. And so if you're, if you're not feeling it that, that evening or that night or it's online and it's 9 o'clock at night and you're thinking, oh, gosh, I, do, I really don't have the heart to talk to this book club and get it together, <laughs> bring your absolute A game, and then once the camera's off or the, you can walk off stage and get in your car and go home, then you can collapse in a heap. But you, every single talk you do has got to be your absolute best because you do not know who's in the audience and you do not know who's going to go home and mention to their other their readers group or, uh, or their local librarian at their local public library. You have got to get this person in because they were, they were captivating. Be mindful of your audience. Um, also deliver to the brief. This is something that drives me nuts too. If I go to a writer's festival, for example, and I've read the brief, I've read the little blurb and I've thought, oh, I really want to know more of that. And then they talk about something completely different. It is just irritating for the audience. And I'm probably less likely to go out and buy your book because I thought I was going to have a talk on this. And then you kind of change it to that. I've seen authors not deliver to the brief and it's 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 as an audience person, it's really really frustrating. Um, readings, 
And James, you and I have talked about this because I've seen you present over the years and you're amazing and you're fantastic and I always, always, always love listening to your stories. But there, were, there was a stretch of time there where you didn't read from your book. Do you remember this? And I, after one, one time I saw you and I said, James, that was fantastic. That was great. The only thing is you didn't read from any of your books. And so I think it's important because um, it gives a sense to your audience of how you write, what you write. They might want to then go and pick up that book, buy it, you know, gift it for a friend, borrow it from the library. Um, so I think reading from your work, I think audiences want it. I think readers want it. Certainly if you're talking to teachers and librarians, they value it. They love, I think just generally readers love hearing authors read from their work. Pick Pick carefully. So sometimes I've got, you know, so I've got a bunch of different books. Sometimes it's the first paragraph or the first page or two that is the best part for that book to read. But mostly it's not. Um, mostly it's a part I will build up to a part of the book and then read that exciting part. Read for your audience. Be, be very, very mindful of who they are and what you think might be the best part of that particular piece of writing that you will read. Maybe you want to leave them on a cliffhanger. Maybe you want to leave them on a sad note. Like Just really think about your audience and, and what you will choose to read. Um, so... Yes, James. Sorry, um, can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, or just mention something. Um, when I first started doing doing school stuff, I I was under the misapprehension that basically I should do my talk for 45, 50 minutes and then leave five to 10 minutes for questions at the end. Mm -hmm. um, how do you approach that? Because, you know, do you, do you invite discussion as you go do you invite questions as you go how do you manage that yeah look I try to make it interactive probably less with an adult audience but certainly with a kid audience I will try and very early on ask questions who's ever done this or has anyone you know ever woken up at night with this kind of feeling and so you try to get them involved as, as I do anyway as as early as possible and what I do is I will tell them a whole bunch of stuff show them videos show them powerpoints whatever and then I'll stop about halfway through because you'll know this too, James, like sometimes an audience is just brimming with question. Every person in that audience has got five questions and sometimes they're happy just to listen. And I found particularly as I talk to older, older kids and also an adult audience, they're not as brave, I think, as being the first one to put their hand up. So I find too, if I stop about halfway through the talk, then if the rest of the talk are questions, that's great because they're curious and they're interested and they're, they're getting what they want from this talk. Um, but so that's why I don't, and, but also at, at the end I'll, I'll see if there are any other questions because, of course, I've said a bunch of other stuff as well. So I think as much as you can, allow the audience to be a, a, a part of your talk and allow them to ask because sometimes they will ask you stuff that you just thought, yeah, well, I wasn't going to talk about that, but since you've asked, here we go. What about so, when they ask you with a question at the end? So you've, you've actually specifically talked about something and they ask you at the end. So have you ever done such and such? And you go, what did we just talk about? <laughs> I just, I often, yeah, I'll often, especially if, I, especially if the question's already been answered or if, uh, yeah, another kid or another person's already asked it, I just very politely answer it briefly and we move on. <laughs> How do you handle hecklers? <laughs> How do I handle hecklers? Um, 
every now and then, yeah, I'll get a kid ask you. It's very rare, actually. It's really, really quite rare because most people are sort of on your side. But I did once, for example, I've written um, a trilogy, the Grimsden trilogy, which is essentially um, sparked by my theory about inaction to climate change. Now, the first book came out 10 years ago, and I knew when I first started talking about that book there would be pushback from adult audiences, kid audiences. And I remember one day speaking to a young audience, so perhaps 11, 12-year-old kids, and I talked about you know climate change and how it led to this book about with sea monsters and flying machines and action-adventure kind of stuff. And this kid stood up, squared their shoulders and said, climate change doesn't exist. And I thought, ah, I think I'd just been kind of heckled. And uh, I said, and I thought, what do I do with this situation? Because, of course, I obviously I believe it does exist, but I'm, I'm, I've got this kid saying it absolutely doesn't. So I said to this little person, just promise me one thing. Promise me you will keep an open mind. Promise me you will keep reading and you will keep listening. Um, and that's, that's all I can really ask you because obviously I do believe this is true and um, I respect that you have this opinion right now, but we both, we, to, we both need to just keep an open mind. And so, you know, I've, I haven't had any, you know, because I haven't written any big political books or anything too controversial, I don't get a lot of, a lot of heckling. But um, I'll look, and I know we're probably going to wrap it up because I know it's nearly, it's nearly time, but what else have I got? Um, I, think I, ha I think in our chat we've sort of covered a lot of things. Um, yeah, th so that th I sort of touched on this before, be involved in the community. So I know this year I missed community so not just author talks and visits and festivals and stuff I missed being in those green rooms I miss being in those tea rooms in 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 schools and and festival halls uh, talking about my ideas so what I did this year was I set up an online critique group with some writer buddy friends and we workshop our work um, once a month and we send our work out at least a, a, a week before we meet uh, join writers groups and I know there's of course there's Westwards I said be in the community go to launches go to festivals just be amongst the community have chats with people about you know that's that's I for me that's where I find which publishers looking for what material? That's where I get to talk to publishers. That's where you realise they're just human. They're very, very overworked and <laughs> humans, but they're very lovely humans. They're very empathetic, and um, so go to as many events as you can. Watch as many authors in action too. I I remember very, very early on, and I still actually do do it. If I'm at a festival, and particularly early on, I would go and spend all of my break time watching someone else talk, because not to kind of emulate of course what they're doing but watch what they're doing watch what works what what doesn't work what's not for me and you can you know it's like anything watch someone do it who's good at it and then you will pick up different hints and clues on on how to work that to be part of your presentation like to 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 improve your presentation but ultimately make it your own and enjoy it if you look like you are having a ball on that stage and you are smiling and you're meeting, I have to say, particularly with adults, because they can be a little bit serious in an audience, I will kind of find the person who's grinning the most or who's smiling the most and I will kind of focus on them and take that energy from them and then give it back to the audience. Make them know that you want to be there um, and um and make them know that this is there's no other place you'd rather be right now than kind of in this room with all these people who love reading and writing. Um, and just finally, James, before I go, this year we have moved online. 
I've done a lot of online talks. A lot of people have done online talks for, you know, either your local library or a conference or a festival and um, get used to being online uh, because we're going forward, we're going to be doing this as well. I, I don't, we're not all going to go back to face to face. And I've heard that a lot from festivals and from, um, from schools as well. And there is a festival uh, next year that already they've told me regardless of what happens it's going to it's going to be online next year because one you can ha you have a bigger audience you can reach people in Broome you can reach people in Port Hedland instead of everyone having to converge on this spot you may get festivals who will be a combination of in-person but also streaming as well so get used to being online get used to um, hopefully you know lighting up I've got can't tell you how many lights I've got around me at the moment look up online how to light yourself how to mic yourself all and all of this technology is not that expensive anymore you can do it on your phone because Jack. the thing is i know that when we in the past people like i mean people like tristan banks and these guys have been doing this for a long time but yep. you as well but but for those of us who i mean i i've made i attempted a few times to set something up where i could do this and it didn't i didn't sort of follow it through and whatever sure. um but I, I think that there was always a bit of resistance to this from the schools because they were like, yes. oh, no, probably came. But I think this has, much as they do want to get back to having people in the, in the school, I think it has also shown a lot of people that, yes, this is a valid option. There is, if you really want writer X in your school yes. and they live somewhere else. And we, we saw this, we've seen this with our, our kitten club event where it used to be in Katoomba and hopefully it will be again, but we were starting to run out of people that we could invite to come and speak at the kitten club because they right. needed to be close enough to come up for a hundred bucks, you know? Yeah. Um, well, since that, since this has all happened, we've been getting some really interesting people from all over the country. And we had Isabel Carmody from Brisbane the other day. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it is an opportunity. I think um, connecting with your readers what, in, in whatever way, and some people are very happy, of course, to leave that to sort of Instagram or leave it to Twitter or whatever, but I think connecting with someone who loves what you do and who loves reading and, and we all, you know, love reading and writing, it's it's really special. It can leave you on quite a high. Like I've often left festivals or, you know, conferences or whatever on a complete high thinking I just spent a whole session, you know, talking about this thing that we love. So it's 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 very fun. Super I nice. always come home ready to write. I always leave festivals. Oh. I can't wait to get back to my computer. Yes, it's such, and again, that's something I've missed this year. I've missed that sort of, you know, back and forth thing that happens, you know, again, in green rooms or in, in tea rooms or whatever. And then you're so fired up to write afterwards. So, which is part of the reason I formed this online critique group so that my writer buddies can. invitation? I didn't even know about this. Yeah, it was by invitation only. <laughs> Oh, your invitation must have got lost in the mail, Jake. Leave that hanging there, will we? Just leave that hanging. Okay. I know I get it. I get it. I'll see how it is. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. Appreciate it, mate. Thank Beautiful. You. You're welcome. All right. See ya.